Slow growth, inflation is coming down but slowly, now rising oil costs. The future for Europe doesn't look as positive as the United States or Australia. Germany, for example, one of the few developed nations expected to see negative GDP growth this year. So why is Europe struggling more than most? And is the ECB, in trying to manage a variety of different economies, part of the problem? Today, someone who thinks central banks should be lowering rates sooner rather than later. That's this week. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. Well, inflation is still pretty high in Europe and in the UK. OK, well, uh, down on where they were, of course, but it's taking a long time. And there is the risk that impatient central banks, both the ECB and the Bank of England, will push rates ever higher. So what are the circumstances that are making life so difficult in that part of the world? We'll look at that this week on the Weekend Edition. And as always, with the caveat that these are not the views of NAB that you're hearing. At the weekend, we cast on it a bit wider and we get views from other economists and experts, perhaps with a different perspective. And this week, Greek economist Vicky Price. Well, originally from Greece, she's a long-time UK resident. She's been joint head of the Government Economic Service. She is visiting professor at Birmingham City University and King's College in London. She's Chief Economic Advisor and a board member at the Centre for Economics and Business Research. There is a lot more, but, you know, I'd be here all day doing it, so that'll do for now. So, so Vicky, great to have you with us. Thank uh, you. We keep hearing that the US is heading for this soft landing and Europe isn't. Europe is struggling. The IMF's latest projection has US growth at 2.1% this year, just 0.7% for the euro area and a fall of half percent for Germany. So why do you think Europe is doing so badly? Or are these projections perhaps just a bit pessimistic? Well, the main thing, of course, is that the US is doing reasonably well. So it's a comparison mm. uh, between the sort of the regions. Uh, the US, of course, did much better than anyone else through COVID and also, of course, through the energy crisis, because A, is self-sufficient and B, was able to put in energy, I mean, and B, was able to put huge amounts of money into the economy to get it over the issues that COVID was throwing at it. So uh, it recovered much faster. And it has shown positive growth now for the last couple of years. Um, in fact, it's likely to out, um, outdo uh, loads of other countries next year, except, of course, uh, the ones in the developing world where, where we're still seeing you know, some, some growth there, even though that isn't anything like as fast as was the case before, because of all those factors that we've all been facing, high energy prices and so on. So the U.S. did not have to um, deal with, with the energy price increases that Europe has had to deal with. Um, Prices have remained much lower than they are in Europe, even though, of course, they increased as well up to a point. Um, what we're seeing in Europe is that particularly the the links with uh, Russia and the dependence on Russian gas um, was a, a major factor that has led to the problems that the region has been facing. They've had, of course, to cut back hugely on that and, and now, you know, Gas is hardly coming over from that region into Europe. They had to restructure, bring in a lot of LNG from the US. So is it? So is that the main thing then? It's just the cost of energy, or is there? I mean, you mentioned you know America chucking money at the problem, and they are now, aren't they, with the um, the Inflation Reduction Act? I mean, is that also the fact that you know it's not just monetary policy that's driving the way forward for the US? There's a there's a, a you know a fiscal stimulus as well. Is that helping them through? And we're not seeing the, the, that same commitment in Europe. Well, Europe is trying to catch up on that. But the interesting thing about the US is that it has seen its inflation come down quite significantly. So that's good news. That is also encouraging people perhaps to feel slightly richer as a result. You've seen retail sales actually do quite well uh, in the US recently. You've also seen, of course, 
um, the um, industrial, produ- industrial production, which has been a bit up and down, so they're not doing that badly at all in the last count. Uh, so there is a bit of resilience uh, that uh, that you see there. So that's all sort of good news for the economy. So that's helpful. And of course, it's absolutely true that the Inflation Reduction Act uh, is intending to put and already is putting uh, huge amounts of money into the economy, but mainly by offering all sorts of subsidies to companies which are now beginning to invest quite heavily in the US. So it, it is benefiting from all that. Uh, but there are issues there too. The debt ceiling is a problem. Are they really going to have the money that they need for, for, for that part of of their investment intentions in the future, question mark. In Europe, I'm afraid it is really the energy side that has affected uh, demand more generally uh, in the economy. The costs increased very, very significantly. Governments intervened and have spent quite a lot of money, mainly on trying to keep um, energy costs down, not in the UK, which was quite slow in doing it. And that's why inflation expectations in the UK are so high. But certainly in Europe, they did it much faster. And well, also, Spain did, didn't yeah. they? I mean, if you look, and Spain Absolutely. has, you know, the, the the lowest level, you know, out of the major countries within Europe anyway, the lowest levels of inflation. I think it might be starting to tick back up a bit. But I mean, that's so that raises the question, doesn't it? If it's been so successful for them in terms of trying to limit the effect of inflation, why is not every country being doing the same thing? Because it's costly. Uh, and and if you're really, really worried about the, the, the fiscal position, then the governments will generally try to resist doing so. And of course, during that entire period, we had uh, the IMF and others saying, don't subsidize energy. You need to just reduce the demand because otherwise you just keep on encouraging um, the you know, demand to increase. And what we really want is to restructure and become more efficient and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you could say the same about the US, couldn't you? You could well, say all that investment in the US would be inflationary. Of course. And yet, you know, we're, we're seeing inflation coming down. I mean, the IMF, yeah, I mean, they are very big on this, aren't they? So they had a paper that's looked at 100 inflation episodes worldwide and said history is littered with examples of premature celebrations of victory in disinflationary fights. So their argument is you've got to keep the rates up longer. Uh, so monetary policy all the way as far as they're concerned. It's absolutely true. That's what they're saying. I don't know that I agree with that because, of course, what the difference mm. of subsidizing or helping businesses, both with energy prices and food prices, which were another major issue. Uh, and, of course, we know that you know during the COVID period and beyond, then what we did see was huge expansion in uh, what well, in uh, in demand suddenly and nobody could cope with that you know after the lockdown so we had freight rates go up very significantly sort of container costs were enormous delivery times were affected supply chain issues so there was a bit of inbuilt inflation that was coming through but of course what most central banks thought at the time was that it was a a transient thing that uh, inflation was going to come down again when things stabilized and indeed all the forecasts including of the World Bank and others, the OECD, where that prices, energy, food and so on would stabilize and and if anything come down, which would have meant almost deflation in the world economy. So that's why central banks didn't do very much. And then, of course, with the energy crisis that we had with the war in Ukraine, all that changed. And uh, it is indeed a monetary policy that has been looked at as the main way of, of containing inflation. The real problem is that if you don't support uh, and didn't support your energy your your businesses and households with energy costs and you didn't do something about food as well um there have been mandatory or um voluntary agreements on on price restraint across europe which we didn't do here in the uk um but it has happened everywhere else hence why inflation has come down so much more significantly in europe than has been the case here but anyway you had 
that uh, problem that if you did not support it, then inflation expectations rose very significantly. Here in the UK, a year ago, we were forecasting inflation of over 18%. Uh, it didn't get quite as high up as that. It just got over 11%. And that is because we did finally introduce an electricity price cap. In Europe, they did in many countries, and you mentioned Spain, of course, a lot earlier, with the result, actually, that inflation expectations were scaled down. People's wage demands were scaled down. We didn't have the strikes that we had here in the UK. So that didn't push you know, costs up and, and lost you a lot of output, which was what was happening here. So we've ended up in a situation, that's why the UK is unlikely to grow very fast next year, where interest rates may have to stay higher than would otherwise have been the case. So I'm not sure I agree entirely with let's not subsidize energy, even when we are in a situation of war, if you like, where it's an emergency in many ways. Well, I mean, if you've got a uh, people not spending because they've got this high expectation of inflation uh, and they've got rising costs and they've got rising mortgage rates, so they're getting squeezed in, in every direction. They are not going to be willing to spend. Companies are not going to be able to invest if, if, if they're not seeing that growth happening and interest rates are high. I mean, how do you get out of that situation? That that seems like that's a long-term downward spiral or at least stagnation, doesn't it? Well, you have to get interest rates down, really, and inflation is coming down. Yeah. Uh, what is happening in Europe? We've just had uh, the Eurozone data, which is showing that inflation has, has slowed down to 4.3% year on year. In some countries, it's been very close to target already. And I think the central banks have to realise that when we're talking about it, 2% target. We're not talking about 2% being there continuously every year, but over a period of time. And um, all this data dependency that everyone is talking about, in other words, let's look at the latest data and then decide whether we're raising interest rates, doesn't look at the longer term. I mean, if you are to have a longer term solution, you also need a longer term uh, in a interest rate. Right. So, so you're saying that you reckon they're being a bit too heavy handed then. They're trying to do it, you know, they're trying to delay it all. Because if you look at the core rate in the US, it's 4.1%. In Europe, it's 4.5%. So actually, you know, it's not that different, is it? And yet the ECB, they've got an interest rate at 4, 4.5%. The Fed is a whole 1% higher than that at, at 5.5%. So can the ECB get away without lifting rates to the same level as the United States? Well, you'd assume they're not going to go all that way. Although the ECB are are still sounding very hawkish, aren't they? As though they feel like they've got more to do. Well, the truth is, of course, that the ECB has to deal with countries with with widely different uh, structures and inflation rates. And, of course, for a while, it also had to deal with, well, it still does, of course, because they're part of the Eurozone, um, the the Baltic states, which, uh, of course, had inflation of over 20% uh, for a few months after the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, because they're so dependent on what happens in um, uh, in Russia, and they were so linked in terms of you know where the supplies of energy were coming from. So that uh, of course makes it very very difficult to look at anything that the ECB does and think that by raising interest rates they're going to really control anything at all across so the is eurozone. The, is the, is the, yeah, so is the eurozone the biggest problem for Europe then? Uh, I'm sounding like a Brexiteer now, aren't I? Uh, which I'm, which I'm not. But I mean, you look in a situation like this, and you're thinking, well, people in Spain must be feeling a bit miffed about the fact that they are landed with, even though they've got low uh, inflation, they're landed with higher interest rates. Now, the ECB 
did talk about the transmission protection instrument. And I think the idea behind that was where they would lower the government borrowing costs for certain countries to try and balance things out. But they were talking about that a year ago. As far as I'm aware, that's that's not being used. So it, it is a problem, isn't it, that you've got one body trying to apply the same rate, as you say, to a variety of economies, all in very different circumstances. So it will be holding some growth back in many of those many of those parts of Europe. I think it was one of the reasons why they were so slow in raising rates. I mean, remember, the UK raised rates in December 21, uh, the US in March 22. And um, the ECB still had a negative interest rate until July 2022. So until, until, you know, just over a year ago, Uh, because, of course, the last time they started raising rates um, about 2011, uh, just after the financial crisis, they hadn't realized they were in recession territory there themselves. Um, and then moved into deflation. So their worry had been that if we raise rates, they're going to be inappropriate for some countries. Uh, and I think that's the reason why they were so cautious to begin with. Now, of course, they become very hawkish in what they say to prove that at least they're on top of it. But in reality, with uh, the inflation rate coming down and coming down quite nicely, yes, of course, as you rightly said, depending on what types of subsidies you may have fed a year ago and you remove them now because uh, energy costs have come down anyway, uh, then you uh, you may see a bit of an increase in in inflation. Uh, you know, other countries had done all sorts of other things. They had given subsidies to people who are traveling. So in Germany, you know, you could travel very cheaply for a month at some ridiculously low, uh, you know, money outlay that you 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 made. Um, you know, just a few euros. So well, when these things disappear, then obviously your inflation rate goes up a little bit. But we've we're seeing that. It is mainly, in all those cases, external issues that matter, energy prices, food prices, over which those central banks have absolutely no say. Of course, you can stop the economies from working completely and therefore no industry. So that would bring energy costs down simply because no one is going to be producing anything. Well, that's not what we want. That's really what happened during COVID when, of course, remember, we had... um, uh, oil prices at minus $37 a barrel, if I remember correctly. So July of 2020, 2020 must have been or something like well, that. Uh, if I now, now it looks like, of course, you know, $100 is not beyond the realm of possibility, is it? The, mm. this, the way things are going this week. So, uh, I mean, you know, supposedly they look at core inflation. That doesn't factor in the, uh, I mean, obviously it impacts the headline rate, but it doesn't impact the number that supposedly central banks are looking at. But we are going to see headline rates starting to go up, aren't we, particularly in Europe? Again, Europe is going to be disadvantaged compared to the United States or places which are self-sufficient in energy. Well, the interesting thing is that core prices have come down um, in the UK, if you look at the latest data, if you look at September, which is good news. Uh, Yes, there are some elements that... Uh, are still, you know, quite buoyant, if you like, because, you know, people started traveling. So airline fares are up um, and people have started going out to eat. And they still have, uh, in fact, in very large numbers in many countries, because, you know, depending, of course, on the weather, um, because people had lots of savings that they had during the COVID period when they were paid, but they couldn't spend on anything very much at all. So that probably will get out of the system pretty soon. And some of it is really seasonal. So uh, what you're likely to be seeing is that uh, mainly because input costs in businesses are going down, that's going to be reflected in prices as well. So again, if you look at uh, latest producer prices in the UK, and I'm sure that will be repeated across Europe too, um, we've seen them going down year on year, not just inflation slowing down, but producer prices. In other words, you know, what businesses are paying for the products that they're buying. Um, 
by 2.6%. Yes, went up a little bit in September, but overall, they've been going down and input costs have been going down. But you're quite right. There are some concerns uh, that, you know, oil prices may be going up again. Uh, we've seen the cuts in oil production by OPEC. We've seen some other issues in terms of sanctions with, with Russia and, and tighter measures put by the US. As a result, we've seen on the gas side, not just the conflict with Israel and Palestine being a serious, serious issue now, uh, but also what's happening in various uh, refineries and also some of the fields, which are having problems. They, those issues could just be temporary. No, you hope. Um, I mean, Saudi and- Arabia can turn the taps on any time they like, of course. Exactly. Now, it all depends, of course, what new Saudi Arabia will be in after all the things that are happening uh, right now. So there, there is uncertainty. There's no doubt about that. But overall, the trend is still one. If you compare with a year ago uh, of um, energy costs being down rather than but up. But we are in this, for whatever reason, higher for longer environment. It sounds like you're saying, well, you think you, you think that's... Uh, n- not the right approach that we should be. T- we should be treating this, you know, the the, the path towards lower inflation uh, as a longer term aspiration, and that might be bringing down interest rates sooner. But I mean, central banks aren't expecting that. Investors aren't expecting that. I mean, we're getting higher yields. It seems getting higher all the time on on ten year treasuries, ten year gilt yields, just about everywhere, uh, and that's sort of leading the way in a bit, isn't it? So high yields, central banks are going, oh well, you know, they're expecting higher interest rates. I mean, it's a question of who is leading who, and you know what that is doing to future investment. You know, as we were saying, how do you have a a, a soft landing when people aren't spending? No, you're, you're quite right. I think uh, the the mood in the markets needs to change to one of uh, interest rates needing to come down or going to come down as well, and with inflation coming under control. So the central banks need to give a sign that says that rather than interest rates are going to stay high for longer. They're doing this now to get some credibility, and I'm suspecting that particularly as the economies are slowing down, with the exception, of course, of the US, which seems to be doing okay. Um, and also data from China suggesting that perhaps things are a little bit better. We just got that this week. Yeah, um, which could be good for Germany, of course. It, absolutely, in terms of exports, uh, indeed. Um, but uh, what the, the message really needs to be is is one where we are uh, expecting things to, to improve rather than we need to keep rates up uh, for longer, which I think they will give up on at some stage uh, is, is my is my prediction. But you, you spoke earlier about the, tr- the transmission policy instrument, which has been set up. Uh, what this underlines as well is that the monetary policy isn't just interest rates. It has also been a change from quantitative easing, which was supporting, of course, uh, loads of countries by allowing very cheap uh, borrowing to take place. Uh, but that quantitative easing has now stopped. And of course, it has put countries like Spain, Italy, and others, potentially if their debt remains high and they still need to spend a lot of money to keep their economies going, um, in, in trouble because capital markets may decide to widen the spread between, you know, German bonds and, uh, the Spanish bonds and the Italian bonds. Well, this transmission mechanism is meant to go in there and allow the ECB to start buying their bonds again. At least that's one one assumes this is what will be the case. But we mustn't forget that there is a massive, both in the US and Europe and the UK, now sale of bonds by central banks, uh, very often at a loss, which the taxpayer has to bear. Certainly in the UK, that's how it works. And if that sort of continues, that in itself um, tends to push yields up. So maybe rethink on quantitative tightening 
uh, needs to happen as well. Maybe that's a little bit um, controversial, but I do think that perhaps the, time, the timing hasn't been quite right. So too much too soon is what you, I mean, that is the message, isn't it, really? That seems to be your view anyway, that they should uh, yeah, ease off on the, on the quantitative tightening and start looking at moving down faster and driving that expectation because higher for longer, staying on, you, you don't want to stay on top of Table Mountain is what you're saying. And you think the moment we realise that there's, uh, there's a quicker way off, that is better for everybody. Yes, I would say so. And uh, here in the UK, again, if I may, um, we had the, the, the spectacle of the Bank of England going to um, to the Parliament and reporting or being quizzed by one of our committees, the Treasury Select Committee, and admitting that they had got their inflation forecast wrong and the models weren't really working. Well, if you do that, you certainly get markets terribly, terribly worried. Uh, but actually, at the end of the day, they're proving quite right. Inflation is slowing down. So um, you've got to watch what what you say to the markets very, very carefully. Uh, and I think what the ECB and the others are trying to do right now is convince them that this inflation will be coming down because they're going to be up there watching it and then rates will fall. But the question for me and for everyone, of course, in business, too, is how soon can we move to the situation where well, we, we can reduce rates? Well, that's the obvious last question, Vicky. When? When when will we see? So halfway through next year? I mean, markets are almost writing off the idea of any rate cuts next year, but you think it could happen? Yes, uh, because actually, unless we get serious surprises with uh, on, on the energy front, the possibly food front, with what is happening right now in, in uh, Eastern Mediterranean, um, we may well see inflation come down very, very significantly over the next uh, few months. And uh, if, you, if you just look at the OECD's forecast, uh, which came out just recently on uh, where inflation might be on average in 2024, if I remember correctly, they're headed at 2.9%. Well, that's pretty near target, frankly. Why do you need to keep rates as high as they are uh, if that is going to be the case? And for Europe, given the huge differences that exist, it's almost pointless. Great to talk, Vicky. I hope we can get you on again. Uh, it won't be to next year, but it would be great to have you back on again at, uh, at some point in 2024. Let's see if you're right. Uh, we'll get you on. Whether you're right or wrong, Vicky, we'll, you, we'll either congratulate you or we'll say, hey, Vicky, what went wrong? Uh, and hold you to account. How about that? Good to talk, Vicky. See you soon. Thank you very much. So rates coming down sooner, central banks changing their message. That is why we do invite a variety of people onto the weekend edition, because frankly, who knows who is right? But uh, it's good to have the discussion, isn't it? Next week, Georgia Hall from Maple Brown Abbott talking about their investment strategies. How do they see the lay of the land? And I am back on Monday morning for the usual weekday edition of The Morning Call as well. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. The Weekend Edition. 